Wretched Radio begins in three, two, one. If it brings her to the same point that it brings you, it doesn't matter whether she called it God along the way or not. That understanding works for you, so therefore it is absolutely right for you. All beliefs have become only relatively true, and of course to the world, religion is just some personalized experience, not a divine revelation, and the church is catching the disease. It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Let's test the spirits behind the Enneagram. What is it? How has it become so popular in many churches? Where does it really come from? And what does the Bible have to say? What What indeed? This is Wretched Radio, so that's how you pronounce it. (laughs) Isn't she the one who sang the songs in those those movies back in the 90s? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, That's exactly right. What from Gabe Hughes, uh, taking a little look at something that is increasingly popular, unfortunately, in evangelical circles. Of course. Why? Because the Enneagram is trendy. Why wouldn't evangelicals follow suit? Do you know the origins of this tool that's being used by Christians? Thanks, Gabe Hughes. He brings us up to speed. The Enneagram of Personality, or simply the Enneagram, is a nine-sided star polygon used to classify human personalities into nine interconnected personality types. The word comes from the Greek words ennea, meaning nine, and gramma for writing or drawing. Each number at each point of the Enneagram corresponds with a different personality. The Enneagram is utilized anywhere from business management to religious contexts. Some believe it can help a person understand their own personality and the personalities of others, improve interpersonal dynamics, and become healthier and more productive. The religious believe it can help a person know God or achieve enlightenment. Uh Uh-oh. That's a problem right there. Does God ordain external tools to help us connect with God? No, we have all the tools necessary. Why are we bringing the Enneagram into the church? Others do it just for fun. Though the Enneagram is largely regarded as pseudoscience, it has developed into a cottage industry with seminars, conferences, books, jewelry, candles, and more. This became quite the fad in many American churches. Franciscan priest Richard Rohr was one of the first to promote the Enneagram to Christians with his book, The Enneagram, A Christian Perspective, published in 1995 and again in 2001. Over the next few years, Rohr's teaching on the Enneagram caught on with the emergent church movement, including teachers like Rob Bell and Brian McLaren. Shocker. In 2016, Christian publisher InterVarsity Press released The Road Back to You, an Enneagram Journey to Self-Discovery by Ian Morgan Cron and Suzanne Stabile, who is called the Enneagram Godmother. IV Press has since published dozens of books on the Enneagram, including an entire series devoted to each personality type. Andy Stanley had Ian Cron, an Episcopal priest and psychotherapist, on his leadership podcast to promote the Enneagram. Stanley said Cron is responsible for introducing the Enneagram to its broadest audience, evangelicals. Rick Warren has hosted Enneagram seminars for teachers at Saddleback Church. Tyler Zach is an Enneagram pastor who has organized the Gospel for Enneagram Summit. (laughs) Honestly, 
if Juicy Fruit had been introduced in the 21st century, we'd have a pastor of Juicy Fruit and Juicy Fruit conferences. How trendy are we? Speakers included Russell Moore of Christianity Today and Lisa Vischer, the voice of Junior Asparagus from the popular children's series right. Veggie She's now an Enneagram coach. Other speakers included Beth and Jeff McCord, who founded Your Enneagram Coach so Christians can use its power to harness and transform self-limiting behaviors into life-enhancing personal empowerment. The gift of the Enneagram, they say, is that through self-discovery, one can create and sustain meaningful and lasting relationships with others, God, and themselves. Not through Christ, but through the Enneagram. Yep. Other Enneagram enthusiasts include Beth Moore, who says she is an Enneagram 7, and Scott Sauls, who's an Enneagram 4. In a passion talk, Sadie Robertson Huff said, I'm a six-wing seven on the Enneagram. I can tell you everything there is to know about it. Late Southern Baptist pastor Darren Patrick said, I think the Enneagram is like the image of God broken in nine pieces. In the same answer, he said, You've got to understand, really, the Enneagram is to show you your dark side more than your sunny side. Hmm, is it possible that the Enneagram is not being used for the ends that most evangelicals believe? I don't know if you know the story of Darren Patrick. Very tragic. He ended up committing suicide. In fact, it was probably it was widely broadcast. And no matter how you slice it, whatever the cause, it's just tragic. Some churches have utilized the Enneagram to hire new staff, not according to their biblical qualifications, but according to their Enneagram number. Here's Troy Frazier of the Revive Thoughts podcast. I was working with getting hired at a church. Everything was going very, very well. However, at the very end, they just sent me a link and they said, hey, everyone who we would want to hire for this position is taking uh, this Enneagram test. And I don't remember what my numbers were, but let's just pretend for the sake of remembering these things. Uh, It was a four. The message I got back the next day was, oh, you are a four. I am really sorry, but actually, you know, I'm a four. Dave's a four. We actually have several fours already. And we're trying to have a well-rounded staff here. We appreciate you taking all the time on this. But yeah, not looking for a four right now. Thank you. (laughs) Not first Timothy two and three, not Titus one. No, the Enneagram. It's not the only time, not the last time I would have an Enneagram test come up at Christian ministry. It's happened actually a few different times. At best, the Enneagram is pop psychology. At worst, it's of the occult. Now, this is something that many evangelical teachers pushing the Enneagram try to ignore. Bill Gaultier, who led the seminar at Saddleback, has said the following about its origins. I did some research about the history of it, and I became convinced that I feel like God has had his hand in the development of this tool. Wow. Now, you may say, but wait a minute, Bill. I've heard about, you know, all these different influences, Eastern religions and Sufi Muslims and, you know, all this stuff. Well, that's true. It's a cross-cultural <laughs> tool. <laughs> well, the first know. thinkers in the history of the Enneagram were the desert fathers and monks of the 3rd ah. and 4th century, and they were Christians. The desert father, Evagrius, is the one that identified the seven deadly sins. The whole Enneagram theory is based on that plus two more, nine deadly sins. Now, you don't always hear about that because it's a lie in fact the guy who pushed that story about the enneagram going back to ancient sources admitted he made it up here's chilean psychotherapist and enneagram guru claudio naranjo so he gets into a long quote but basically he says i made it up because if you're going to forward your own bad idea what do you do to accomplish that task You attribute it to somebody that people find credible. Oh, the Desert Fathers. Therefore, it must be okay because 
He's quoting the Desert Fathers. Tragically, they're lying. It didn't come from the Desert Fathers at all. Nevertheless, the rumor persists. The earliest mention of the Enneagram is from Russian occultist Peter Uspensky, who got it from his teacher, occultist George Gurdjieff. They taught that the human soul is trapped by personality and needed to be set free. Gurdjieff explained this using symbols like the Enneagram. He said all knowledge can be included in the Enneagram. A man may be quite alone in the desert and he can trace the Enneagram in the sand and in it read the eternal laws of the universe. If that ain't... (laughs) anti-christian the term enneagram of personality is credited to oscar achazo a philosopher who founded an occult school in chile he called his study proto-analysis nine ways in which a person's ego becomes fixed at an early stage of life often due to psychological traumas each person latches on to one of these ego fixations becoming the self-image that develops into their personality achazo claimed to receive this from spirits including an angel called metatron His student, Claudio Naranjo, referred to these spirit guides as a higher authority, through which he was also influenced. Naranjo assigned each of the nine enneotypes, which he claimed to have received through automatic writing, a form of spirit contact. Actually, Oscar Chesson had not described any of the enneotypes either. Actually, in the uh, uh, seven months we spent with him, he devoted about six hours to talk about the enneagram, but he never came to describe any one of the types. Details, details, who needs such details about how the thing came into being or who did it? Well, a Christian should because, well, when you've got very popular people promoting it and endorsing it. When you find your personality type is a six-wing seven, according to the Enneagram, this is not, as Darren Patrick called it, a reflection of the image of God. The Enneagram is not what God says about you. It turns out the Enneagram is what demons say about you. Galatians 1, 6 through 8 says, I marvel that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. But you see, it's got the word deserting in there, which is like desert. And the Enneagram comes from the desert fathers. So Galatians 1, 6 through 8 doesn't apply, Gabe. Using scripture to try to help us navigate trend after trend in evangelical Christianity would encourage you uh, to go YouTubing for what? W-W-U-T-T, Gabe Hughes. Man, he's got a good voice. Not that I'm coveting or anything, uh, doing a bang-up job, helping us to understand and really expose the roots of the Enneagram. Please share it with people in your church who are using it. Please share it with your pastor if they're contemplating using this to determine what sort of people should we call or to even use it to determine how we can use spiritual gifts. Why play with fire? Haven't we been able to figure out people's spiritual gifts and personality types for a couple of thousand years with just the Bible, the Holy Spirit, and the local church what the enneagram what christians need to know about it but apparently aren't all that excited to learn this is wretched radio i know how you're feeling at the thought of switching from traditional health insurance to medishare which is affordable biblical health sharing 
That's a big decision, and it can be kind of scary, which is why Mrs. Friel and I researched MediShare and determined, yeah, we can trust this ministry, Christians paying for the health needs of other Christians. It's a magnificent ministry, 98% member satisfaction rate. It's amazing. The average family saves $500 per month. If that sounds intriguing, and I hope it does, please do your research. Visit metashare.com slash wretched, metashare.com slash wretched, or call them and talk to a really nice person at 844-34-BIBLE, 844-34-BIBLE, 844-34-BIBLE. You know, what used to be a movie is now our sad reality. We're living in a world that's gone absolutely bonkers. So much so that six mads just aren't enough to describe it. Social media may be bombarding us left and right. Our Christian worldview may be under assault. But we have the dynamic duo of Todd Friel and Dr. Nathan Buznitz. And they're coming to the rescue with Wretched Worldview 2. Tackling 22 of those pesky, thorny, contemporary issues through a biblical lens, helping us to defend the biblical view on things like sexuality and gender, critical race theory, modesty and apparel, persecution, secular entertainment, environmentalism, 22 issues to be exact. So what are you waiting for? Head on over to wretched.org, grab your copy of Wretched Worldview 2. And hey, while you're there, snag that study guide too, because it's the perfect companion for navigating this mad, 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 mad world with wisdom and grace. Ah, some good news. Two encouragements from the Tomorrow Clubs. They have hundreds of weekly kids meeting clubs in Eastern Europe, but now they've expanded to Africa and the kids are swarming the Tomorrow Clubs. They have never seen greater attendance than the hundreds of new clubs that they are opening up in Africa. That should encourage all of us. The gospel is going forth and reaching kids in unreached places. Encouragement number two, would you like to become a Tomorrow Clubs ministry partner? Your support will help the Tomorrow Clubs open up even more Tomorrow Clubs and reach even more kids with the gospel. Please consider becoming a ministry partner at tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched, tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched. Important dates in Christian history. 1906. The Azusa Street Revival in Los Angeles, California, launches Pentecostalism and paves the way for the development of the modern charismatic movement. Pentecostalism is marked by a focus on supernatural gifts such as healing and speaking in tongues. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. This is Wretched Radio. And this has nothing to do with the Enneagram. See what I did there? Enneagram! She's the one responsible! (laughs) We sure do love trends, don't we, if the culture's doing it? And we, with something similar, we Christianize it, well... We try to slap a Bible verse on it and call it evangelical. And the next thing you know, it's gone. Here today, 
gone tomorrow. Not sure, but I think it was C.S. Lewis. This isn't an endorsement. I'm just telling you the guy who observed that when a generation goes about the business of making its faith relevant for itself, something that is comfortable for us, graspable, digestible, kind of fun, we become completely irrelevant to the next generation. Because we have created a Christianity that is about fulfilling our whims, needs, and desires. But the next generation might not share those feelings. It's a different epoch. And so they reject what their parents embraced because it doesn't apply to me. What's the point of this? That is why it is not wrong if a good book becomes popular. But when we see something that is downright faddish, meaning it's being popularized, it has very little connection to actually what the Bible has to say, or it becomes the all-consuming rage. Yeah, purpose! We got to have purpose, purpose, purpose. This church has to be purpose-driven. We got to have life that's purpose-driven. Uh-oh, you've got yourself a fad. Now, sometimes these fads could even be good, if you will, but anytime something trendy, even if it's biblical, if it becomes the centerpiece of your faith, most likely we are probably going to take it, make it bigger than what it should be in the totality of the Christian life and make it the centrality of our faith, thereby making it likely not as relevant to the next generation, or even, frankly, five minutes from now. there's Go Google evangelical trends, evangelical fads. You'll find plenty of lists. I mean plenty of lists. It's not just the purpose business, the Jabez business, the WDJD business, left behind. Remember the passion of the Christ? That too was a bit of a trend, wasn't it? We see these things come and they go. And if we aren't careful, we're going to be screaming into the woods. You say, what exactly are you talking about, Freelwater? There's a new group in Australia learning how to cope. Jimmy, let's figure out a way to evangelicalize this. Okay. These are women who meet to scream into the night. According to the, guard- the Guardian, there are scream groups. Scream groups. Scream. Well, I'm just trying to think of some sort of biblical word that even comes close to it. And then we'll use it. No, we'll just put the numbers. Remember that trend? What was the name of the conference? The the 114 conference. The 218 conference. Now, okay, we did a Psalm 119 conference, but at least we said the book of the Bible. The trend was just give the address, man. That was a trend. Think of a word for scream, Jimmy, and we have got ourselves a bestseller. Scream groups are forming across the world where women gather in parks and public places to release their frustrations. The Shout Sisters group, really, was formed. A month later, they met for the first time at an inner city park to bellow their frustrations into the Australian night. And apparently these are popping up all over the world. This is the world trying to figure out a way to cope. Uh, Is there anything beneficial to getting something off of your chest? I think there is. And I think we've got to figure out a biblical, if we can, a biblical way to support the idea that you just unburden yourself. Well, I think that's the key word. We are to share one another's 
burdens. When we tell somebody, oh, I'm going through this, doesn't necessarily fix the problem, but it's nice to know that somebody else maybe is bearing that with you or sympathizes with you. So I think there's something beneficial about that. Screaming just to let it go? One of the leaders said, women want to scream. There are plenty of spaces for men to yell. Jimmy, what places are those? <laughs> uh, Football games. That's, yeah, that's what I was about to say. Because apparently women can't go to those. Really? Well, I mean, there aren't any places for women to go scream. We've got plenty of places to yell. But we don't often get to raise our voices. And when we do, it's met with disapproval. Here's another sign that this group reflects, I think, in our current culture. These people are looking for community. They want to be a part of a group. They want to get together with somebody who's going through the same stuff they are. Hmm. Is there an institution that is designed for that very thing? I believe it's called the local church. On Wednesday evening in Sydney, women begin to emerge one by one through the trees, ambling along the footpath until they reach the agreed meeting point. A countdown sets the scream in motion. Three, two, one. And 12 unbridled voices pierce the quiet of the night, roar around the hills, and then disappear into the passing traffic below. They scream again, grasping their knees, some shaking their hair. We've, I think we've seen that before, haven't we? In a Hindu cult, if I'm not mistaken, a little kundalini action. In a circle and some howling at the moon. Now... We can look at that and perhaps mock, or we can recognize what their need is. And I'm not talking about addressing felt needs. It is observing a world that is lost without Christ, is lost without hope, has no way to understand reality, and is looking for something that is a deep connectedness to other people. Once again, I'm sorry, I see this and virtually every other news story where we see Western civilization crumbling, and I can't help but think, we just need to get about the business of evangelizing. These screaming women, they need to know something better than shouting in the woods, don't they? Here's how Americans are coping, and I would say, well, this could become an evangelical trend, but I think it already has. Americans now spend more on legal weed than on chocolate. Was flipping by the news channels. Actually, I believe Mrs. Friel was. And she stopped on the local news, which we have not watched, I don't know how many years. And it was the story about marijuana. Now, she told me about it in her news feed. Sorry, I'm getting my recollection wrong. She saw it in her news feed where the pot, the first pot store, medical pot store in Georgia opened up over the weekend. How were people reacting at it? Well, before you imagine that, let's just say that in this state of Georgia, there was a medicine that helped people with toenail fungus. Oh, why did I bring up that illustration? And they opened up the medical toenail fungus store. Do you think that people would be jumping up and down, screaming and whooping it up like, yeah, baby? Probably not. They'd be happy, perhaps. And I know the rest of us would be happy, especially if you're a toenail fungus person 
who dares to wear open-toed footwear. But the people who were outside of the pot store were acting like they were on their way to a, you know, pot party or something. (laughs) And evangelicals probably aren't far behind. There are a number of churches, but I think if I read the number right, it was about two or 300 churches. These aren't evangelical, but give us time. These are churches that are using psychedelic drugs to connect to the divine. And I don't doubt that they are connecting to the netherworld, but they think they're being connected to the, the divine when they are actually just being connected to demons. And a lot of them admit that they go on these psychedelic drug trips and they are freaky, scary. Why? Because they're pharmacia. Drugs have been used for centuries to open up oneself to the netherworld. And so it is. Churches are doing that. Churches are going about the business of bringing in psychedelics. And I will not be surprised. It will not be long until somehow there are a group of evangelicals who have come up with a clever way to endorse pot smoking inside of the churches. We, I'm not suggesting the tour. I'm just saying we do see a really big promotion these days in consuming hard liquor. And there was just a, a really, really formerly famous but kicked out of his church pastor who was commenting on the Dylan Mulvaney Budweiser business. And he said, gruff guy that he is, I've been telling you, don't bother with Bud Light. Just go straight to the good stuff and there's a bottle of scotch. Okay. All right. Terrific. Won't be surprised. I'm not, I'm not linking the two. I'm just saying it isn't unlikely that evangelical trends will indeed create pot church. Oh, boy. Well, you know, at least they might do communion more than most evangelical churches. Because <laughs> we don't seem to want to do communion very often, do we? This is Wretched Radio. And it's now time for a Wretched News Break here on Wretched Radio. I'm Jimmy Hicks. We start today with the Senate. Bless their hearts. They've shot down a resolution to revive the so-called equal amendments rights. That's right. So common sense may not be as extinct in the Senate as some of us thought. The rather radical amendment which threatened the sanctity of life and the biblical definition of gender was sent back to the drawing board, thankfully. It shouldn't be a surprise to us because common sense is common sense, but unfortunately in this day and time actually does surprise us. Let's visit our friendly neighbors up north where a Canadian town has banned all non-governmental flags from being flown on government-owned buildings, which means no BLM or pride flags or anything like that will be flown on this town's city hall, which is a move I completely agree with because you have to put a complete stop to it or before long, you'll be flying flags for places like McDonald's. Where does it end? Meanwhile, down in Florida, there's been a bit of a kerfuffle at the Ladies' World Poker Tour. It seems that a 70-year-old bearded man, who clearly didn't get the memo about the ladies' part, actually won the event. It's just a confusing time we're living in. I mean, one minute you're playing poker with your buddies, and then the next minute you're the reigning women's world champion. It's almost like somebody shuffled the deck of common sense. In other news, Florida has decided to manufacture and import Lincoln SUVs. Guess from where? From China. 
uh, now it's apparent that I am no economist, but when American companies start outsourcing their production to other countries, especially China, I don't think China's going to make a Lincoln SUV that doesn't have some kind of GPS telling them where people are. That's my conspiracy theory. And meanwhile, Brittany Griner, you remember we talked about this last week, the WNBA star, got a scorching response from her ridiculous comment last week where she had the audacity to call it a crime to protect women's sports from men. Well, Riley Gaines, a female swimmer, didn't take too kind to that remark. Gaines, in her wisdom, reminded us all that the last time she checked, it was a crime to ignore biological realities and undermine the very essence of women's sports. Thankfully, there are a few that are willing to stand for the truth in a world that has gone mad. And in a bit of uplifting news, a Christian substitute teacher who was fired for opposing a same-sex book has been reinstated. Now, there's some occasions where truth does prevail in the world. The brave educator stood firm in biblical truth and in the end, justice was served. However, we do have tragic news from Nigeria, where Fulani militants killed 18 Christians and wounded a pastor. Oh, as we tell you so frequently here at Wretched, please make sure that you continue praying for all of our persecuted brothers and sisters abroad. And that's been today's Wretched News Break. More Wretched Radio straight ahead. I'm Jimmy Hicks. Books of the Bible. Mark was a follower of Christ, traveling companion of Paul, an associate of Peter. His gospel presents Jesus as the Son of God. Here, Jesus is the perfect example of self-sacrifice, the suffering servant who died as a ransom for our sins. When you suffer for obedience to Christ, do not be ashamed, for Christ suffered and died for our disobedience. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Get your tickets. Get your tickets now for the Shabbat Conference. This is Wretched Radio. You don't want to miss the Shabbat Conference. You say, what is what exactly is a Shabbat Conference? Well, Shabbat is the Hebrew word for shout. It's used 52 times in the Bible. So we are creating a conference like we evangelicals do. You're invited. You come and we'll spend the weekend shouting. Why? Because that's what the world is doing. They're going into the woods to shout their feelings. So evangelicals slap. We'll just say Psalm 145 verse 4 on it, which has the Hebrew word Shabbat, shout. And you've got yourself the latest evangelical trend. Uh, Jimmy, I've even got the logo. Do you know who it's going to be? Who? Joshua. Oh, that's going to make a great t-shirt. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and wait till you see the skit that we put on oh. where Joshua comes out into the stage and he shouts at a wall that gets pulled down. Boom. You've got yourself. <laughs> did you? T- <sighs> we did a video a week or two ago on that ludicrous Easter service, that play that took place in Tulsa, Oklahoma. It was as, uh, Oh, that's the word I'm looking for. It was as non-Christian as you can imagine and theologically disastrous. It was somehow it had a woman who actually Satan was a woman and the woman was a woman who was getting abducted by Satan 
who was playing the role of Jesus or something like that. It had a lot of pyrotechnics and twerking, which I can't find a Hebrew word for that. And it was outrageous, outlandish, worldly, and unbiblical. And it had whiffs of ransom theology that Satan was the one who really was being paid a debt by Jesus. No, God was the one who was propitiated. He was, he was the one that was being satisfied. Well, we get propitiated. He was the one who received the payment that Jesus made. Because we owe a debt not to Satan, but to God. Now the church is claiming they had 500 converts from that. So zip it, talk show hosts that are critical about it. I'm sorry, this will sound radical. But if something blasphemous results in salvation, that doesn't justify blasphemy. You can't justify It's an extraordinary number, and let's hope somebody got saved at that fiasco. But that doesn't justify doing something that God does not appreciate. This is why the regulative principle, while I get it, we can argue about some of the fringy stuff, I think is the principle that makes the most sense. Who should appreciate what is offered in church on Sunday? The attendee the worshiper, or the one being worshipped? And the answer is obvious. God should be the one who determines, this is what pleases me. This is how I want it to be done. His preferences regulate how we do worship. Yes, there are different cultural expressions of worship, no doubt about that. There are different people with different means and abilities. Got it. But he's the one who should determine what worship actually is. So to present this play that was just, Jimmy, what word am I looking for? Make, made me want to shabak, is what I'm <laughs> saying to you. And just when I thought that was the worst, I don't know who sent this. Mm-hmm. Thanks for the gift. It's a church up in Toronto. For years, they've been doing these Easter shows based on Disney plays, Disney movies. So you got a toy. Oh, this one was, get ready. Get, get ready. This one, you're going to love this. Beauty and the Beaster. Boom! And somehow, (laughs) Belle was crucified for I don't know what purpose exactly. Beauty and the Beaster. See what they did there? Beauty and the Toy Story. They've done uh, what are the the superhero the uh, Marvel Marvel uh, the the what what's the, you play these games all the time Jimmy what's the name of the thing where Spider-Man. they do the deal uh, it's like that yeah it, uh, the car- superhero Avengers. show yeah I think that was it yeah yeah good on you I think it was the Avengers <laughs> for an Easter service ay 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 and why is it that Satan almost appears to be the star of these shows. In Boston, SatanCon took place over the weekend. A lot of Christians consternated. Don't blame them for that. Why shouldn't they be upset that in their town at a Marriott hotel, hey, that's owned by the Mormons, if I'm not mistaken. The Marriott, no, yeah, the Marriott, it's owned by the Mormons. The Hyatt is the Hyatt, but I think the Marriott is still owned by, that's why you get the Book of Mormon in your Marriott hotel. They were the one who hosted SatanCon. 
This featured different seminars like reimaging Lilith as an archetype for reproductive justice. Oh, so it's a it's a pro-abortion lecture. Sins of the flesh about sexual stuff. Reclaiming the trans body. Huh? Deconstructing your religious upbringing. If you were a church in Boston, what would you have done? I don't think it was a sin if you wanted to go down there and pray, even though your prayers are just as effectual wherever you happen to be sitting, because it's not our location that makes our prayers powerful. It is Jesus. Now, we can pray more intently, and if being in a particular location helps you do that, rock on. But it is not somehow being near the thing that you're praying for makes your prayer somehow more effective. I don't I don't blame Christians for doing that, but I might suggest to you, rather than getting a little bit torqued that Boston is having a Satan conference, rather than a one-time response, how's about seeing it for what it is, a sign of the times, that we've got a country. There are more and more of these satanic conferences being held all over the country, dark side stuff, witchcraft stuff, then they're growing in popularity. And we can hear about them and maybe go to the Marriott and pray or or pass out evangelistic literature. That's fine if you want to do that. But maybe we need more than just a one-time response. We need an ongoing effort to be evangelizing people. People get saved. They're not going to go to SatanCon. That's, I feel quite confident in that. When somebody is a born-again believer, they're probably not going to want to go celebrate a conference that celebrates everything that is dark. But according, by the way, to this conference, they're not. <laughs> this is so funny in a tragic kind of way. The temple claims to be a non-theistic religious organization that does not worship or believe in a personal Satan. Then why call it Satan Con? This would be like a Christian... We're going to do Christian con. Well, we don't believe in Jesus, but we're doing a Christian. You'd go, whoa, 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 whoa. And if I then told you, yes, this is a conference that celebrates hating your neighbor, you'd go, wait a second. That's the very opposite of the namesake in your title that taught love your neighbor. Satan con. The temple claims to be not so much about Satan, but rather aims to encourage benevolence and empathy because ain't nobody more empathetic than Satan. Furthermore, they reject tyrannical authority. (laughs) You know, like Satan. Advocate practical common sense, oppose injustice, and undertake noble pursuits. This would be like having the Benedict Arnold Conference and teaching on fidelity. That you just... How's it? No, I've got it. Um, we are having the merit, the the debt till death do you part conference and teaching you how to have a boyfriend or girlfriend while you're married. Whoa, 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 whoa. That it does not make sense exactly. Satan Khan, would you like to know what they did there? It won't shock you. They tore up a Bible. That's right. A group of Satanists cheered as two leaders opened up SatanCon 2023 with a formal ceremony renouncing symbols of oppression. Ah, yes. It's nice to know that even Satanists are woke. By ripping up a Bible and a thin blue line flag. So they're they're not a big fan of authority, I guess. 
we stand before you today in defiance of their siege and destroy their symbols of oppression, she told the crowd before ripping out pages of the Bible and throwing them on the floor. Christians would be pilloried if, if we took the Satan handbook and did the same thing. Oh, those judgmental, intolerant Christians not being excited about a Satan handbook. But at the Satan con, no big whoop. What a demonstration of overt darkness. Do we need a greater reminder that this is not a culture war, that this is a spiritual war? That this is really all about being anti-God, all of it. Whatever the, whatever the latest dingy story you see and wonder, what's going on here? Why is this happening? Well, there's a lot of reasons and a lot of explanations. The bottom line, it's anti-God and pro-Satan. This is Wretched Radio. So, you're not convinced of the importance of training men to rightly divide the word of truth and fill pulpits internationally? Fine. Then we'll let Paul Washer convince you. It is so important, not just important, it's absolutely essential to have a trained expositor of the scripture in every church. When we read through the book of Acts, we can see that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Christ, advances as the word of God advances. Would you please consider joining the Master's Academy International in filling empty pulpits with men who can exposit the scriptures and advance the kingdom of God it's a magnificent ministry with a generational impact. Please learn more about supporting TMAI at wretched.org pastor. Wretched.org pastor for the Master's Academy International. Hey, thanks for listening to Wretched Radio today. And even though you know what I'm about to say, I'm going to say it anyway. We appreciate you. You know, every day we set out to reach millions of people all over the world with the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we couldn't do that without you. Sure, we have biblically sound and gospel-centered productions like Wretched Radio and TV, Road Shift to Truth and Transform, but we can't produce those biblically sound and gospel-centered productions without your support. And we want to take things to the next level and reach even more people. When you become an ongoing monthly gospel partner, you join us in these efforts to spread the gospel to millions all over the world. And hey, I don't want to put you on a guilt trip, but did you know that 70% of kids leave the faith when they enter college? So I'm asking for your prayerful consideration in becoming an ongoing monthly gospel partner. Just visit wretched.org slash donate or text the word wretched to the number 44321. Wretched, amazing grace, amazing gospel. Sorry to ask you to do some arithmetic, but this is some math that will encourage you and make you very, very happy. This is one testimony of a mother who chose life because she saw her own baby, courtesy of an ultrasound from Preborn. 
I was terrified. I really didn't know what to do. The first time I saw the ultrasound, I was just amazed. I was like, oh my gosh, is that my baby? And I, like, I heard her heartbeat and I, I just, I just fell in love. If I could care about my daughter this much, if I could love my daughter this much, how much does God love me? Now take that one testimony and multiply it by 54,253 because that is the number of babies that were saved last year because of ultrasounds at preborn centers. Would you please help us grow that number by providing as many ultrasounds as possible at preborn.org slash wretched, preborn.org slash wretched. Titles of Christ. In the Bible, Jesus is given many titles that teach us about who he is and what he has done. Jesus is called the physician. Jesus healed many physical ailments during his ministry on earth. When he comes again, he will put an end to death and disease and give us spiritual bodies to last for eternity. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Rebecca put a teacher's creed into words when she said, there's no such thing as someone else's child. Really? No such thing as someone else's child. Our nation's children are all our children. This is Wretched Radio. Sure, we can support one another in our parenting efforts to try to raise up children with values, but that doesn't mean that it isn't the parents who are the ones responsible for the upbringing of their children. Sure, we can get support from neighbors, community, even schools, but the president is indicating nope. Parents don't own the children. We all own the kids. I do believe a woman who ran for president said the very same thing when she said it takes a village to raise a child, which is one of the reasons why so many schools feel so empowered to go about the business of training your children in filthy sexual things without ever telling you. Why? Because they believe that they own your kids. And when you got the president of the United States affirming that, ooh, 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 ooh. was it Horace Mann that most people credit with be, being the founder of the public schools? He said something similar, that teachers really do have the right to indoctrinate children. No, no, they don't. Public school teachers should be supporting the parents' efforts. Oh, by the way, speaking of school, as long as I brought it up, there was there was a uh, uh, it was in the thing with it in North Carolina, Chapel Hill, maybe I'll find it, where they were they're talking. Here it is, right here. It was in yeah UNC Chapel Hill. Six hundred and seventy three university professors sign a letter opposing courses on America's founding and the Constitution. <laughs> but we'll teach your boy how to dress like a girl when you're not looking required reading for the course would include now no wonder why they don't want to be teaching this stuff required reading for the course would include the u.s constitution no that's hor the declaration of independence how cruel the emancipation proclamation Five essays from the Federalist Papers, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s letter from a Birmingham jail, and the Gettysburg Address. Nah, we ain't gonna teach that, said 673 UNC 
Chapel Hill professors. Wow. Speaking of education, as long as I brought up the subject, a Missouri school is putting they, them pronouns into math class. Oh, that's going to be interesting. To help kids mathematical identities. Sit down. This is going to take some thinking to try to follow this logic. Somehow, math has to do with your identity. During the presentation, a math curriculum coordinator claimed that the inclusion of the non-binary pronouns will, quote, help students develop their mathematical identities. Jimmy, what's uh, your mathematical identity? Uh, non-existent. I'm going to go with division for you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Why? Well, you've got the gift. What you got? And move them to see the beauty, joy, and connectedness of mathematics as a way to see, make sense of, and change our world. Okay. So we're going to just make math malleable. Bend it all over the place. Please. Please, Missouri. Don't let any of these kids graduate and build bridges. Please. I don't want to be in their elevators. Please. This is sad. A Christian university, as long as we're on the education theme, Todd, we are. Christian university is blocking a Maoist China survivor from speaking because of anti-woke views. This is Whitworth University denied a Republican group's request to invite, I, I don't want to say it wrong, a survivor of Maoist China to speak on campus citing her criticism of woke culture and her comparisons of the ideology to her experience under communist rule. This is a private Christian university. Nine to four <clears throat> to the mouth. We don't want to hear about it and a comparison to what we're doing <laughs> in this country. Oh, well, this might explain it. It's in Spokane. So that maybe explains why it is that that Christian school wouldn't allow a Maoist. But that's not what we're talking about here on Wretched Radio. Freel, it sure seems like we are. Have uh, some potential good news, maybe, about the kids. Hopefully, this is a trend that returns and sticks because this didn't used to be a trend. This used to be the norm. Interesting that Christianity Today would write about this long article. Typical of CT. Youth pastors are ditching gross-out games and help student ministry grow up. Jimmy, I've never heard of this type of craziness that's described here in Christianity Today. Nobody's ever talked about youth gross-out games and how we treat children like they're baby. It's worse than how we... We wouldn't treat a baby the way we treat our youth. No, we wouldn't. We, would, we, we do the most repulsive things with children in youth group. Might I remind you... No, don't. Might I remind you of one gross-out game? This takes some effort. You, you want to buy a new toilet for this, and then you fill it up with water, and then you put Tootsie Rolls in it, and you have the kids bob. This has nothing to do what? with a fellow named Robert. You bob for the Tootsie Rolls in the toilet. Boom! That segues right into the Bible. Somehow, maybe, that has been a trend that has been going on. I do believe somebody wrote a book about this, or at least in part. I think it was called Judge Not Available at Wretched.org. How drunken pastors... Oh, there were three things. 
uh, the subtitle, How Drunken Pastors, because everybody's getting drunk in the spirit. Remember that trend? Drunken pastors and peanut butter armpits led to the demise of a nation or something like that because there was the pastor down in Florida. I just saw the article in my files. Getting ready for my time in Pigeon Forge. Looking forward to being at the Teach Them Diligently conference. And as I'm going through my files, looking for all of the different presentations on marriage and parenting and homeschooling, I stumbled into the youth group pastor who put peanut butter in his armpits and had the kids lick it out. Just giving you a second to recoup in case you've never heard that. That's been going on in youth group for a long time. Hopefully, according to Christianity Today, maybe the trend is coming to an end I hope a fellow from who's the next gen director with the Southern Baptist Convention, North American Mission Board. He now educates pastors to involve youth more organically with the larger church. No, where did he stumble into that idea? Before, he felt like they were asking youth to join an entirely new church after high school. No, don't tell me we're getting back to having everybody... Worship together, this could mean partnering teens with adult volunteers and doing church work like sound setup or tear What? Having the kids do something at the... With the ultimate goal of discipling relationship and contribution to the church. Quote, we cut discipleship legs out from under us when we're separating people by ages and demographics. Listen, listen, can you hear that sound? I think that's Vody Bakum saying, <laughs> adding that one of the greatest untapped resources is senior adults and empty nesters within the church. Wait a second. This is kooky. The kids, they're looking for somebody to help them figure out life and do adulting. And you've got these senior citizens with more free time than they used to have and a lot more wisdom than the kids Put them together? What kind of craziness are we talking about here? About time. The new model for training instructs youth ministers to cultivate... (laughs) What kind of insanity is this? The new model of training instructs youth ministers to cultivate the spiritual formation of children with parents rather than just teaching youth pastors how to pull off the next big event. How did they stumble into these ideas? I have new model. Yeah. New model right here. The best way to influence the faith of the next generation is through mentor relationships rather than youth groups being centered on one adult leader, the youth pastor, typically some are encouraging churches to gather a diverse group of adults and volunteers to minister to youth. Meaningful interactions and connectedness with adult members beyond the youth pastor is key in turning out faith in young adulthood. Well, I think this is utter insanity. Going back to a biblical ideal where older men instruct the younger men and the women. They instruct the younger women. What kind of craziness are we inventing here? Let's get back to the touchy rolls in the toilet. Because that's really worked out so magnificently for us. Hasn't it? Let's hope Christianity today is correct. And that we have stumbled into what is not a trend, but what has always been biblical. Kids don't need nonsense and gross-out games. They need Bible teaching. (laughs) 
and they need adults, a lot of adults in their lives, especially and primarily their parents. Until tomorrow, go serve your king.